Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This week, we're telling the story of United Airlines Flight 585 and U.S. Air Flight 427. Thanks for listening. All right, we're going to back to the best year ever, the best of all years, the year that all the good stuff happened and all the best babies were born. <laughs> Going back to 1991. Yeah, baby. Let's go. Yeah, baby. 91. What a good year. A fine vintage. A fine vintage uh, wine year. And uh, we're going back to a uh, familiar plane. So we're going to talk about uh, a 737 today. Um, 737s do just come up on the show with some frequency um but that's because they're the most popular plane ever made so there's just a whole lot of them yeah and by 1991 they had been in service for like 25 30 years like they had they rolling on along right just flying people all over the world (laughs) yeah um 737s are you know a very popular plane to this day unfortunately they are an effort to keep making 737s is ultimately what led to the max disasters um but it's 1991 baby that hasn't happened yet so yeah the pilot of the ethiopian flight was a tiny boy in 1991 so here we go <laughs> i'm a little <laughs> over the place it's gonna be fine you're good it's, it's great so, okay. February 25th, 1991. Amazing. Yes. A 737 that was born in 1982. Not that old. Living its life. Mm-hmm. February 25th, 1991. Flying along at 10,000 feet. As it's flying along at 10,000 feet, nothing's wrong. Clear night. No problems. All of a sudden, while they're flying, the rudder just like deflects to the right, just to the right. And the pilots were like, oh, that's not supposed to happen. And they they slowed the power down. They're at 10,000 feet. They've got some space between them and the earth. And they're able to like force the rudder like back into position. And they were like, oh, that's weird. And they landed at their destination. Maintenance looked at it seemed fine maybe just a weird thing maybe some you know wind hit it in a weird way Mm. oh no a couple days later same thing happened rudder flying along suddenly the rudder just deflected the pilots slowed down they were at altitude they were able to slow down and you know just drop a little bit bring it back under control maintenance looked at it they don't see anything wrong with it. It seems to be working fine. So, okay, plane's still going. So then on March 3rd of 1991, United Flight 585 is flying from Peoria, Illinois, to Quad Cities, Illinois. Illinois, we're going to say. Okay. That sound right? Quad Cities Airport. Rock City, Illinois. Yeah. Sure. Uh, to Stapleton, Denver, to Colorado Springs. 
Okay. okay. So they're just going boop, 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 right? Stapleton, Denver, for anyone not aware, it was the old Denver airport uh, before the current Denver, Denver airport, which was obviously extremely controversial for a lot of reasons. Hi, Uncle Dave and Aunt Mary Beth. <laughs> that one, you know, lots of controversy for a lot of different reasons. It's one yeah. of those airports that people are like, this is definitely like Illuminati confirmed. <laughs> right. Stapleton, before any of that had happened, it's 1991. The Berlin Wall has fallen. Nobody's thinking about the Illuminati in Denver. Yeah. Stapleton, right? Flying this plane, we have wonderful captain, Harry. He's 52. He's a very by-the-book guy. Very nice, very pleasant. And in the first officer's seat is first officer Patricia. First officer Patricia. Yeah. One of only three female pilots flying for United. And, you know, in just amongst a very small number of women pilots flying in commercial aviation, period, in 1991. Yeah. Patricia is well-liked by everybody. She's a great pilot. She's 42. She's been doing this for over 10 years. Like, she's just considered to be a great professional wonderful pilot to fly with so we love harry and we love patricia we love them both yeah they're flying this plane that's had the weird rudder thing but it hasn't been a problem the mechanics looked at it and said everything was fine whatever they uh take off from peoria land in quad cities no problem quad cities to Stapleton, no problem. The last leg, Stapleton to Denver, or sorry, Stapleton in Denver, Denver Airport to Colorado Springs is 17 minutes of flight time. 17 minutes. So this is an unbelievably like and it's it's stupid. Right. It feels ridiculous. Like it's like a sin right. to take a seventeen like minute flight. Surely it's much more expensive to fly that seventeen minutes than we, it is to drive every time. I truly I feel like when you look at like old like routes, they make no sense to me at all. And this one, I mean, I'm not trying to imply that something that happened in nineteen ninety one is old, of course, but <laughs> but it just makes no sense to me, right? right. You're going from Denver to Colorado Springs. When I first saw that, I've had the pleasure of driving that distance with my aunt and uncle out there. Yeah. And like more than once, it's because it's a very, very drivable distance. <laughs> but no, we're flying. The mountains are weird. We're flying. 17 minutes. So we're on the last leg and it is unbelievably criminally short <laughs> yeah. flight. Uh, they've had a totally normal day. Uh, there are only 25 people on board this plane because, again, it's a 17-minute it's a flight, <laughs> yeah. right? Because it's a totally drivable distance. Uh, and I don't know this, but I imagine that Colorado Springs was probably a much smaller city in 91 than it is now. Mm, I don't know that. Probably, yeah. It seems, I feel like out west, they really, like, a lot of those cities were a lot smaller. Right. In like the 90s, right? Just in general. So there's 25 people on board and only 20 of them are passengers on a plane that seats like 180 people. So this is like the height of luxury. Mm. 20 people on this whole plane. Three Perfect. flight attendants for 20 people Beautiful. and two pilots, right? So we're just doing this last little nothing lag. The 
passengers are getting comfortable for their 17-minute flight, I guess. Uh, And they get up into the air. And as soon as they, literally as soon as they're in the air taking off from Denver, they're already preparing to land in Colorado Springs, right? They, They get up to altitude and they're already like discussing, you know, like where they're going to land. They're just doing, you know, their their preparations to land the aircraft. It is an unbelievably bumpy ride. Mm. Uh, Colorado has the weirdest weather I've ever experienced in my life in general. Like it's just bizarre. And again, I'm sure it's because of the mountains. Just bizarre, like snow at three o'clock in the afternoon, and then it's ninety degrees at five o'clock like it just makes no sense and the mountains as we all know the mountains make um a lot of weird wind patterns right so it's a windy day and they're flying over mountains to get to colorado springs which is always going to be pretty bumpy but today it's it's exceptionally bumpy and our girl patricia and harry are have a great rapport they're kind of like joking about how like this is just like ah, flying into Colorado Springs you're gonna have this like bumpy ride and they're doing their preparations for landing and uh Harry is flying and which means that Patty is um doing the um communication with the air traffic controller right so they've just taken off they're getting ready and uh Patricia calls the air traffic controller and says did is there any um speed changes airspeed changes as people have been landing in Colorado Springs so they're already talking to the air traffic controller at Colorado Springs yeah. asking for what the other pilots experiences have been like landing throughout the morning and the air traffic controller goes like yes there is like truly so many problems not as bad as our wonderful mm, friends in Basque country but it's a clear sunny day super super windy gusts up to 40 knots and that's gusts up to 40 knots is dangerous Mm -hmm. right a 737 can fly in that which is why they're in the air in the first place but that's that's a real gust of wind right right and as they're preparing already starting to descend already preparing to land this incredibly short flight uh they need to slow the plane down obviously in order to come to a safe landing and when you slow down those changes those gusts of wind affect you more right so as they're descending it's bumpier 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 the uh air traffic controller says okay so as people have been landing at 500 feet they lost 50 knots of speed because of a headwind at 400 feet they gained 50 feet or 50 knots in speed because of a tailwind and at 150 feet they gained 20 knots because of a tailwind again so right at 150 feet you're going to be on the ground in like three seconds right Right. so at 150 feet you're suddenly getting like pushed forward it's really the uh, exactly the opposite of what you would want but our girl patricia is up for it and 
she answers the air traffic controller sounds adventurous like she's they're they're professional pilots this yeah. is where they fly yeah. this is their turf both of them have flown in and out of uh like colorado springs and denver like dozens of times right they're coming down and they're making they're having to make like a lot of like micro adjustments right like it's it's coming in for this landing with all of those gusts of wind and changes in speed and all of that the visibility is amazing it's a clear beautiful morning but the all of those tiny adjustments they have to constantly make to keep the plane level to keep slowing down at a gradual speed instead of you know going slowing down too much or not enough they're navigating that they can see the airport the air traffic controller in the tower at colorado springs can see them coming in for their landing Mm. suddenly out of absolutely nowhere the rudder just hard over slams all the way to the right the plane rolls just completely out of nowhere Mm. rolls over inverts completely upside down with the nose toward the ground they were already coming in for a landing they have almost no space between them and the ground oh my god they the harry instinctively retracts the flaps and pushes the the thrust forward to spool up the engines to try to go around but they're upside down nose down 10 seconds later the plane slams slams into the ground four miles short of the runway and explodes and the air traffic controller sees it happen and and calls emergency services immediately and everybody rushes the plane crashed in a park close to the airport and just everyone was killed instantly Mm. Mm. instantly and the plane is just a a crater a crater by the time the firefighters showed up just minutes later the the fire wasn't even still going full force it just like just gone just gone gone and nobody has any idea how this happened but there were like there were the air traffic controller, other pilots, people in the park, people around. There were tons of people who watched this happen, watched this plane flying totally normally and then just just flip and fall out of the sky. The NTSB gets there that day and and starts to like go through this crater that it's left in the park. It's it's 15 feet deep and it's only like 40 by 30 feet around it's it's just like the plane just evaporated into this it this crater in this park they start to pick through it and so much of it has been burned and just the force of the plane just hitting the ground and instantly just accordioning like just gone just gone it's horrific Picking through this, what's left, they find the black box, but the force was so intense when they hit oh my. 
that the casing around the black box has been damaged and those casings they're not impervious to damage but they are meant to withstand a plane crash so they but it's the casing has been damaged so when they open it up there's uh, if anyone who doesn't know so inside a black box there's the cvr the cockpit voice recorder that records uh everything that's said inside the cockpit and then there's the fdr the flight data recorder that's supposed to record all of the inputs and like what the plane knows what what the pilots tell the plane to do and what the plane knows the cvr is like crinkled but it still will play it is a oh. literal tape for anyone who doesn't know so it is a, it's not digital obviously it's it's tape like a cassette right better quality than that thankfully but like it's it's crinkled so they can listen to it and they can hear it but it's um the audio quality is damaged yeah. but it's it's okay it's okay but the flight data recorder was damaged more severely and mm. basically the couldn't they they could recover information like the heading altitude airspeed g-forces like some of the inputs but they couldn't retrieve anything about the rudder or the ailerons or the spoilers which are everything that would make a plane flip right roll right so that information is damaged beyond repair can't be retrieved they just don't get that information so like oh so right off the bat it's like such a bizarre like truly a pilot's worst nightmare and a passenger's worst nightmare right you're flying along everything's fine it's a 17 minute flight it's a 17 minute flight and your plane just rolls over so they're trying to figure out what happened and the most relevant data on the black box is not retrievable but there are so when anything like this happens there are going to be the the NTSB wants to interview witnesses. Now, some witnesses are going to be people who are like professional witnesses. So like the air traffic controller, right? He saw it and he's a professional witness. He was going to be interviewed for this no matter what. Right. And then some people are going to like seek the investigators out to say what they saw. Right. They're going to like come forward and say like, um, you know, I watched this happen and and people did. Right. People who were walking in the park, people who other passengers waiting for their flights at the airport, uh, people who there was a man who came forward and said that he was driving his car just down the road and he felt this like massive like gust of wind oh, wow. that felt like it was going to blow his his truck right off the road and that right when that gust of wind happened it like hit his car felt like it was going to blow him off the road and then he saw the plane crash right after and he Oof. said like maybe maybe that had something to do with it right so some people came forward to say what they saw and then some people don't have that instinct right maybe they saw something maybe they don't want to talk about it to anybody maybe they don't think anyone's going to need you know they don't think they saw anything that anyone else didn't see whatever but the ntsb 
ran like commercials on TV, on the radio, like they they ran trying to get as much information as they could because they're already missing information. Inside that crater, the fire damage and the pure damage of the impact were so intense that they're picking through things and they just know like they it is going to be very, very hard. It's not mm. hard because everything's at the bottom of the ocean. Right. It's hard because it's just so incredibly damaged. And the flight data recorder specifically doesn't have the information that would be that could be the most relevant information. So they're trying to like get any witnesses, anybody who saw anything, anybody come over. And some people who had been in the park that day said that there was like an elderly couple who had also been in the park that day because i mean you can imagine if something like this happened and there were other people around you would talk to them right like you just you know instinctively like people are yeah and a few different people who came forward who had been in the park that day said there was an elderly couple walking together in the park who had said that were like wet and said that something that smelled terrible had like fallen from the plane and like doused them. What? That is very interesting. The, uh, the NTSB has no idea what that could be. So they really would like to talk to that couple and like maybe get the clothes, maybe right. see like what did something like hydraulic fluid or right. what? Like they, they want to figure it out. They looked for this couple. They searched and searched and searched for grandma and grampy. Like they looked and looked and looked. They went door to door, knocking on doors, like for like four blocks around the hot, the, the, uh, park. They asked people like for descriptions. They specifically on the news and in the paper and on the radio were like, if you're this older couple, please come forward. They did not. We don't know where they are. They're gone. We don't know. I mean, I I hope they're, you know, we don't trust the government. (laughs) Right. Whatever it was, whatever happened, they did not. Yeah. I I think about honestly, I thought (sighs) you were going to say they got squished by the plane. So I'm glad that. Oh no. Oh my gosh. I will take that. No, I was like, no, no, I can't. No, no, thank God, no one was hit on the ground. But I know all these people in the park. Oh, but it's kind they, of a, it's amazing, I guess, right? It that is. No one got hit. No, it is. It Holy is because it's not right. Right. It's 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 horrific. But anytime like a plane, yeah, crashes into a populated area, right? Oh my gosh! So they can't find this couple. The plane is so unbelievably damaged. The black box information is not complete. And there and this is a, a serious, horrible crash that makes right. no sense. That makes no sense. That happened out of nowhere. And the investigators are are desperately trying to find, like, follow any lead. Like, right, somebody, an NTSB investigator had to figure out how to like word had to, had to like type up an appeal to go in the newspaper to try to find this elderly couple because like what if that information is like the information that would like yeah like turn this whole thing key. around yeah. right but so they're searching and searching and searching for anything that they can figure out they 
don't have the flight data recorder information that they would need for the um, uh, rudder, right? And and rudder ailerons, all of that, again, are the things, the rudder, if you don't know, is like the, if you imagine a plane and up on that like tail fin that goes up from the very back of the plane mm. uh, and it works just like a, it doesn't work just like a boat rudder, but it's not dissimilar from a boat rudder, right? It goes um, side to side. If that makes sense. Yeah. And they they pick through what they have looking for any pieces at all of the rudder. And they're also just trying to figure out, yeah, like did hydraulic fluid did something happen and like the hydraulic fluid like suddenly like leaked out of the plane onto grandma and grampy and then like the plane the rudder didn't have hydraulic fluid to be maneuverable and then like again just trying to like put these pieces together the dials at the front of the plane that would inform the pilots um of like whether or not their hydraulic pressure was what it was supposed to be whether it's they have all of the hydraulic fluid that they're supposed to have those dials were totally shattered right the glass casing was shattered the needle that would tell like would mark how like the hydraulic pressure was snapped off broken and so it looks like you're not and they don't have that data from the flight data recorder so it looks like they're just not going to be able to see from that whether or not there was hydraulic fluid in the plane in the rudder but then some some smart guy right one of those investigators like looked with like looked as closely as he could at the like the smashed dials right these little indicators Mm -hmm. and you could see a little tiny dent where the needle the force was so intense that the needle this little tiny needle like a compass needle if you imagine actually when the hit the needle like smashed into the dial and actually imprinted a dent on there where the hydraulic fluid was right it, mm. on the gauge that little needle slant smashed and dented imprinted into the dial and it was fine the hydraulic pressure was fine huh. there was no problem with that so it's not that so they are like pulling apart like whatever they can of the actual rudder like tail section itself right trying to figure out like is there any mechanical problem with this with the rudder with any of the components of the rudder and again they're extremely extremely damaged but the pcu the power control unit is kind of intact and that's the hydraulic like it's like the hydraulic power steering of the plane so when obviously i am not strong enough some of you might be strong enough to like move a rudder right right at altitude with all those forces on it but nobody wants to put you through all that right so it you know you there's a system in place so that your smaller movements can create the bigger movement of the whole rudder and that little unit is 
kind of intact, intact enough to at least look at it. Same with the gauges, right? They're not intact really, but they were intact enough ultimately to tell them that the gauges say that the hydraulic pressure was fine. So they like take the PCU and like they are inspecting it, manipulating it. There is some hydraulic fluid still trapped inside of it. And they they drain the hydraulic fluid that was still inside of it and inspect the hydraulic fluid under a microscope. And they can see there are these like tiny like like um metal files, like little metal bits hmm. in the like in the hydraulic fluid. So if you imagine like a plane, all of those metal parts in your car, this will happen too, right? All those metal parts, like if they're rubbing up against each other, they'll make these like microscopic sawdust of a plane, basically, like metal sawdust. And it had gotten into the hydraulic fluid and they thought, okay, well, maybe like these microscopic filing like little bits like gunked up the PCU and like got the rudder stuck in that position and then crashed the plane and they went to the manufacturer and the manufacturer is like no no way we have a filter system in place for that exact reason so there's like a filtration system that filters out even microscopic bits of metal out of the hydraulic fluid before it actually enters the like relevant parts of the plane so like no way and they said accurately if it did if those metal filings did get into any part of the mechanism right of the rudder you would see like scratches microscopic scratches from those filings right right and so they look for those little tiny scratches under a microscope on anything that they have to look at and there's just no scratches. The filtration system that Boeing had in place did filter out those tiny metal filings. So they have like nothing. Nothing. They obviously think maybe it's pilot error, right? But the the pilots, like they it's my worst nightmare, truly my worst nightmare is to have somebody like closely inspect my movements, right? But they did. They like asked everybody, like anybody who's ever flown with either of these pilots, the people who trained them decades ago, the people who like did their, you know, continuing education, whatever, recertification, whatever, right? The people who uh, like talked to them at the hotel the night before, like they ask everybody everything. And these are good, respected excellent pilots like nobody has anything to say about them the they asked like one of the flight attendants from a flight the night before had asked them like a flight attendant who wasn't on this plane but was staying at the same hotel and had flown with them the day previously asked them if they wanted to get dinner with her and they said no we got to go to bed because we got to work tomorrow early and like nothing nothing Mm. the flight data recorder chose like conscientious professional pilots going through their day like following all the rules harry is famously like a by-the-book guy and then suddenly they're both shocked because their plane just rolls over and crashes 
So there's just nothing. Right. They have no reason at all to blame the pilots. They have incomplete information, right. but they have no reason at all to blame the pilots. And they can't find anything wrong with what they have left of the plane. And they spend two years trying to figure it out. This is the most popular plane in the world. And it seems. Like it was something mechanical. Yeah. The weather issues that day were a problem, but it's outrageous to think that they would cause that without any other indications, right? Like the things that you would expect to see if like the weather had somehow pushed them out of the sky, you would see other things. Like, so they, after two years, they put out a report that said, cause undetermined we don't know what happened oh and that's bad like that's not bad i'm not like saying it's bad that the ntsb did a bad job i'm saying like that's no yeah that's bad for everybody right oh my gosh that doesn't happen often at all and that was just it they just said undetermined. They oh didn't know. God. And they wrote all of the information that they could. They wrote in the report about the couple, like the nice old couple they tried to oh, find. They wrote yeah. about like the finding like those little metal bits. Maybe that was something, but the filtration system does work and there's no scratches in the, like that you would see if it caused a problem, it would scratch. You would see it. Like they wrote about the pilots, like literally everything they did for like last 48 hours. All of, it's just they were extremely thorough. Right. And had to say, I don't know, because they wow. didn't know. They couldn't figure it out. And then on September 8th of 1994, three and a half years after. United 585 that we just talked about, U.S. Airways 427 is flying from Chicago to Pittsburgh. It's a 737. There are 132 people on board. Mm -hmm. Two pilots. We've got Captain Peter and First Officer Chuck, both excellent pilots. The first officer, Chuck, had almost 10,000 hours, which is a lot of hours for a first officer. Yeah. 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 Very experienced, good pilots. Wait, I'm sorry. What year is this? Did you say? Did you? 1994. 94. Okay. So three. Yeah. This is it's September 8th, 1994. They're flying back. They're flying from Chicago to Pittsburgh and they're coming in. Descending toward Pittsburgh. And there's a plane in front of them, a Delta plane um, that's in front of them. And they're not too close. They're, they're more than four miles back away from it. Um, but that plane is going to land in Pittsburgh before they do. And so they're following that plane. And they get a little bit of turbulence from the, like a little bit of wake turbulence, right? The, mm-hmm. Just like if you're in a boat behind another boat, the waves will sloshy around a little bit from the turbulence and suddenly the plane starts to roll to the left out of nowhere and peter 
the the captain is like hold on hold on hold on hold on he's he's calm but he's like responding to the situation chuck is the one flying the first officer and he pushes down on the rudder trying to like pull the plane back under control and he like like ugh, like he's pushing as hard as he can on the rudder and they keeps rolling it keeps rolling it keeps rolling and the plane rolls all the way until the left wing is pointed straight down toward the ground and the right wing is pointed straight up toward the sky and the nose is starting to tilt down and they peter hits the button to call air traffic controller and he declares an emergency and he doesn't take his finger off the button and so over the next 20 seconds while the plane falls out of the sky they're just just transmitting out to air traffic control and to any other pilot like anybody else who's on that radio frequency and the plane falls out of the sky and crashes into the ground and 132 people died out of nowhere out of nowhere a couple miles from pittsburgh airport coming in for a landing on a clear day with no wind no weird weather. The plane, the rudder just flips over and turns the plane over and crashes and everyone is killed instantly. And the end, this is only a few years later. So the NTSB investigators, right. everyone at Boeing, everyone who investigated 585 had to have like the most i can't imagine what that would no. feel like no oh my god I, I i i cannot imagine what that would feel like because this is only this is like like 15 months after they put out the report saying we don't know right. like they spent years investigating this and then this can't figure it out and then the same thing happens and i don't want to i don't want to like quantify it this way i don't want to like i think it's but I, I think it has to be just said that that 25 people die, 25 souls, like 25 people, human beings died in United 585. Wow. And 132 people died in this crash three years later. Poof. Oh. And the NTSB arrives the different investigators a lot of them the same investigators who had worked on the other one and it's the first plane crash in the united states that was actually deemed a biohazard because there were so many people on it and so they have they're wearing like the biohazard suits which are hot and uncomfortable and it's september like early september is hot and it's just i i i can't i don't know it'd be it would be so hard to function yeah it would be so hard to function i feel like under those circumstances and again the plane is very destroyed like the plane is it's seriously seriously damaged and they have to they have to look at this with like 
new eyes, right? Because if they treat it, if they bring all of this stuff from United 585 to this crash, then they might miss something because they're looking in the wrong places, right? Like they have to look at it with fresh eyes, but they also desperately want to figure out what happened here because maybe it will tell them what happened to 585. So I, that like mental gymnastics to try to like put everything aside and just like focus on the task at hand. And the weather again was totally calm this time. But, but when this in U.S. airway or yeah, U.S. air at this time is what it was called. U.S. air 427, their tail of this plane is much more intact. It's not intact. I don't want to give the wrong impression, but it wasn't destroyed the way the other one was. And so they have like they have the rudder and they have that PCU and like all of those different components that like make that, that would like move the rudder. They have those components. And so, yeah, that's where they start again, looking at it with fresh eyes, but like, let's have an educated guess where we start. Right. And they have the full flight data recorder. It was undamaged this time. So they send all of those different components to like the various labs that would handle it and they bring on the manufacturers of those parts to help like the investigation Boeing's there everybody's looking at it and there's a unique feature of the PCU of the hydraulic system here um, on 737s called a dual servo valve and all you gotta know is that it's unique. All you gotta know <laughs> right this second is that it's like a unique component, right? Okay. Yeah. And it's pretty intact. It's pretty intact. And it would control like the the rudder. And they bring it to the lab and they look and there are those little bits, those little metal bits and filings, right? Those little oh. little scraps yeah. again. And again, they don't see any of those scratches. They don't see any evidence that, they do, that the filters haven't worked and that they haven't, like, they don't have any reason. There's, yeah. It's weird. It doesn't look great, but there's still, there's no evidence on the plane that it did any damage. And there is a filtration system in place mm. that is supposed to be there to respond to those little files that come off over time. They looked for, like, any evidence anything they like put like any test they could possibly imagine to do on any of the components of the rudder like just like anything yeah like racking their brains trying to think of like what test can we do that we haven't done or like what haven't we thought of they put it through dozens of tests and it just works fine. It just works fine. There's nothing wrong with it. And so they try to look at like other things and they look at like the, again, the black box was intact and horrifically they have like, not only is the black box intact, but the air traffic controllers, like they transmitted the whole like end of their lives Ooh. into the air traffic controller's ear, which is also recorded. 
And so they're looking at like the CVR and the flight data recorder and like layering them on top of each other so you can see like what each what the pilots are doing on the plane and like what they're verbalizing or vocalizing. Yeah. And so they're like really like again they just need to figure this out because if they don't figure this out then the most popular plane in the world has something fundamentally wrong with it. And so they layer them on top of each other and Chuck again was flying the plane and he had hit the rudder, stomped on the rudder, trying to right the plane because it was rolling over. And they noticed that like right when he so they like hit that like little baby bit of turbulence from the plane flying ahead of them. And then they started to roll. Chuck slammed his foot down on the rudder trying to right the plane and he is grunting like Chuck like is making like sounds like uh, like effortful sounds right sounds of like strain and that shouldn't be right like we talked about the power like you don't grunt when you like roll the wheel on your car right? right when you like turn from right to left no matter how big of a turn you're making right and if you do it's more because it's like you know the way you feel like you're like one with your car or whatever right like you're it's not effortful you're not needing to like physically strain to turn your wheel yeah and they think like so his controls were like stiff or were like pushing back on him in some way Mm. and they like but they look for evidence of anything that would cause that and they can't find anything. And they like just then one of the NTSB investigators, one of the agents starts having a recurring nightmare God. that he is before a congressional hearing and they're there because there was a third crash in this nightmare and the congressmen are like why didn't you ground the fleet why did you let them keep flying after two crashes like why like you know this is your fault why couldn't you figure it out like oh my gosh they're all just like desperately desperately trying and well and it's too it's like their mind like the what they do every day at work is they figure puzzles out and when you can't figure that puzzle out it like eats at you and it, it completely right and it consumes you and these are like the kind of investigators where like these are not cops like this is not right. a detective or the da they are not trying to like find like a villain they're not right. trying to like build a case like they just want to know what happened so that they can prevent it from happening again and it seems like they didn't find it out they didn't find out what happened a few years ago and it did happen again and they still can't find out what happened and like that the way that would like rip you apart yeah for sure and pilots i mean just to imagine how it would be if you're a three a 737 pilot right oh my and like God, right. how how especially if they don't know it's like anytime this could happen to me right right like if these are your coworkers right. or your colleagues or just people who you know that are you know just in the union with you just like another pilot who flies the same aircraft who died like and then on june 6th 1998 it happened again 
And we're going to talk about that next week. So ah, it's a sneaky okay. two-part episode. I'm sorry. Ooh. I'm sorry sneaky. to do that to you. So I know, I know that like at least 80% of you are going to look it up. And that's fine. It's totally fine. Truly. <laughs> like, don't let me <laughs> discourage you from doing that. I would. But. Yeah. Um, you would. I would. I would I not. Would. But. No. I would. That's why. Yeah. That's how. That's how this developed into a hobby in exactly. the first place. Like, yeah. But oh God. The, at poor Burgers, everyone. Yeah. I don't even know who to like. Right. Yeah. God. And that's a long but, time. Yeah. That's a very years. long time. Years. Yeah. Right. Well, 1998. So. Like were you in? Were you in? I was in. S- Second grade? Second grade? I was probably in second grade. I think grade I was in too. first grade. Yeah, you're a year ahead of me grade. for some reason. <laughs> Am I? You, you graduated in 2010? Nine. Nine. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's right. No, but I wasn't a year ahead of you yet. I was, I'm, I'm, I was only a year ahead of you because oh, for high school. My, school, my school didn't have a seventh grade, so they just put oh, me Oh, right, there. right. <laughs> but... Um, but but I say all that to say that like that amount of time like 1991 to 1998 feels like a long time when you're a kid but during that time most of these investigators spent the vast majority of that time working on these two flights right wow like seven years Oof. where mostly they're just totally consumed, consumed by these yeah. oh that's oh. tough. That's tough to go to work every day, I would imagine. Or maybe not. Maybe they're like, no, we got to get it, you know? Turns well, you're also like, though, for sure. You're like, away from home. Like, right. the impact it would have on your family because you're right. like away from home for a long time and you don't know how long it's going to take. So it's not like you move your family to Pittsburgh, right? right. Like, for, for who knows how long or, or you're just gone for six months. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's so hard. But don't be afraid to fly in a 737. With, like, it's okay. But, um, <laughs> I, was, I was literally thinking that as you were telling the story. I was like, this is going to be the episode that gets people. <laughs> that gets people to not want to fly. Yeah. Like, yeah. people who are on the edge are like, ah, fuck, they don't know what it is. Right. It's like, I know, over I the span of like a decade, just random you. crashes. Oh, Oh, well, that's, you know, you know this, I think, just from the messages we, that we get that all of all the episodes we've told, the one that people mention the most often as the one that makes them afraid to fly is the the duct tape. Yeah, that's the one the that one makes one me South most America. afraid to fly for sure. I think yeah. about that all the time. <laughs> that's the one that for you, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. See, for me. Yeah, so obviously, like, I'm a, like, that viscerally, yeah, that's a horrible one. But for me, that actually makes me, like, afraid to, like, have a job. That's how I feel. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, like, yeah, yeah. In that story, yeah. I feel, like, the most afraid. Because I would, I just feel like there's no way. I do not trust myself to, to <laughs> like, not leave the duct tape on something. Right. Like, that is not. But I think I'm that's what freaks people. Yeah, I think that's like, that's exactly Part it. Like it. you can, you can. Everyone has like that thing. They either know somebody 
who would do that or they are that person <laughs> but everybody has like yeah. that like ooh, you know right it seems like it would just be so easy yeah exactly like, exactly yeah yeah i don't know but the yeah yeah goodness it's a lot i have like my like immediate short list of flights that i want to do are um are too long it's not too long yeah it's perfect i know that um that well i know this is like maybe a less satisfying end Mm. in this moment but it will get there next week it will get there yeah Yeah. you have a a more satisfying fact (laughs) i um yes well no i mean not more satisfying (laughs) But I do have a fact. Um, Casey, did you know that ketchup was one of the trendiest medicines of the 1830s? No, I did not. It was. It was used for indigestion, which seems very counterintuitive because tomatoes acid. Seems like that would make it much worse. But yeah, it was made for indigestion and um, used like widely. For that reason. Can I, I'm going to, can I be vulnerable with you for a moment? Yes, please. I don't feel 100% confident that I know exactly what people mean when they say indigestion. Really? I don't, like, does it mean, like, my tummy hurts because I ate something bad? Does it mean I have heartburn? Does it mean... When I, I, when someone says it to me, I assume it's heartburn. But it could be like, okay. like your tummy, like your, your tummy, your tummock. Yeah. Yeah. My tummy, <laughs> your tummy. <laughs> my tummock. Um, like will sometimes hurt, but it's more of that. Like at least when I think about it, I think of like the mm-hmm. indigestion part, like, or the, uh, the indigestion part, the, um, heartburn. Okay. Yeah. See, I feel like. You know, like, it's ridiculous that any of us can speak, right? Like, what a miracle. <laughs> because, like, we learn our native languages just from, like, being around and, like, reading books when we're children and stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? But you just, like, pick it up. And so there are just, you know, everybody has stuff like that where either you've, like, misheard, like, a common phrase or you, like, picked up, like, a funny word from your family or whatever, things like that. Yeah. And indigestion is just one of those words that I've always been, like... But what do you mean? Like yeah. you mean that you ate something and there's something, some discomfort, but is it like, yeah, heartburn or like nausea or, but then I'll, yeah. So heartburn is your guess. Yeah. Heartburn. I, yeah. Let's. Yeah. Let's look Not your up. guess. Let's look up. That the, is what you mean when you say it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, Bonus fact. According to Google, it means upper abdominal discomfort described as burning sensation, bloating or gassiness, nausea. Oh, or feeling so it, full too quickly after starting to eat. So it is an all-encompassing word. Okay. Okay. So that's interesting. So it is it is vague. <laughs> yeah. Good to know. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Perfect. But that like So don't use ketchup to treat your indigestion. No, no, no. Use ketchup. It's good. Put it on something and then eat it. Put it on one of the many receptacles for ketchup that Mac we created. And cheese. 
craft mac and you cheese? Know, yes. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Are you joking? Are you no. making fun of me or are you no, agreeing no, no. that that's a good food to I eat? don't know. Like, I have been made fun of that over and over and over, but no. like, I thought it was just like a normal thing. It's Is that delicious. a buffalo thing? It's a great way to eat it. I don't know. But like, you're, you're I, not putting I just ketchup think it's on the like right nice thing to homemade do. mac and cheese. You're putting ketchup on craft mac and cheese. Like, boxed. Okay. I'll put. If you went to I'll my mother-in-law's house, I would have to hide all of the ketchup from you. Oh, yeah. I would be sad, though. I would look for right, it. Right, right. And they... I, I love I mean, maybe ketchup, not. Maybe guys. they would be like, okay, this weird girl just likes ketchup on her mac and cheese. I... Throughout my life, I... Many times people have been like, that's a weird thing to put ketchup on. And I'm just like, you're, <laughs> you're the wrong one here because yeah, this yeah. is delicious. <laughs> like... I love ketchup. I am that person yeah, who like that, loves like, ketchup American so much. Who loves ketchup? I am that and, American. Yeah, USA. I am that American. Yeah, who loves ketchup so yeah. much. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay to like that. I like ketchup. They charge you for ketchup in some countries <laughs> in Europe. Can you even? They charge you. They charge you. I went to McDonald's in Germany or something. I don't remember one of the one of the Germany white. One of the white distant countries, <laughs> and like they charged me for the ketchup packet. Germany, what's going on? And I was just like, the audacity is was this it great McDonald's. ketchup? Was it really good ketchup? No, it was like Heinz <laughs> it was McDonald's ketchup. Was it? Yeah, yeah, uh, normal Heinz ketchup in little packets. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. No respect. Yeah, but. Okay. No, I love. Do you you like ketchup? I love. Yeah, I love ketchup a lot. I love ketchup. Yeah, and Ty's from Pittsburgh, so the Heinz ketchup family. Town. Yeah, it's ketchup town. Yeah. Oh, do you think? I don't know if Ty is like available to ask, but do you think? Because I was doing the math on this. This is a plane crash that happened in his in in Pittsburgh. Oh, when right. he would have been like eight, seven, yeah. or, no. The second one was 94. first one was first one was ninety one. Second one was ninety four. Yeah, in Pittsburgh. So ninety four. So Ty would have been oh, five. Okay. Four. He would have been four. He would have been four. <clears throat> but his so, parents might remember. Right, but I mean, like, if he might, he might not remember it. But I wonder if that would have like given him, like, imprinted on him. Oh that, like, yeah, this yeah. is a scary thing. Like yeah. planes. Oh crashing. right, I didn't even think about that. You will have to tap into his psyche. Or if it scared his parents, are either right. of his parents afraid of flying? Uh, no. I mean, his dad travels a ton for work, and his mom right. goes with him sometimes. So, and they've never like expressed fear of flying, if yeah. they do. Yeah. I think for Ty, his was when they were landing in LaGuardia, and the plane just dropped, and then mm. it, like hit an air pocket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just wasn't ready for it, sweet guy. No, I think it's that's scary. It scary. It's scary. It it's like scary experiences like that are like like in our brains, right? They're in the context of how many other experiences we've had. Right. So if you have like one or two flights in your life and then you have something like that happen, right. Your brain goes like, Okay, so the chances of something like this happening are, are like one high. in two. Right, yeah, exactly. And yeah and right and people who fly you know all the time might not be as like you know disturbed by those experiences in the same way because they have more like good experiences to counteract it right right no i feel i i think i talked to you there was like a a landing in buffalo in the winter and there was like it was super super windy Mm. 
and it was when I worked for Delta. So I was like in in the first class, like in the first row because oh God, it was yeah. non-revving. Right. And so I'm like two feet away from the flight attendant in the jump seat, like and we're landing. And she like was like visibly scared. Ooh. No. And like she and I made eye contact and my thought was like, no, like get it together. Right, right. <laughs> like we just I did not say that to her. Course, I did not scold her. I did not make her feel bad for being afraid. But in my head, I was just like, no, get it together. no, yeah. you have to like look confident right now. Right. <laughs> like, like you're controlling the mood of this whole yeah, cabin. Yeah. Right. But yeah, um, which is not maybe not a nice thing to think. But like in the moment, just, it's like, shit. like, I need, together, I need you to get it together, like, together right now. Yeah, it was, but it was, it was super scary, yeah. but you know, it, we landed, it was fine. So. Yeah. Oh, and that time that I was, they were aborted the takeoff when Brian and I were flying oh from God. stupid Syracuse airport and they aborted the take, like we were like rolling down the runway and then like slammed on the brakes. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my what gosh, I'm going to die in Syracuse. Right. Like, <laughs> All places. Wanna, of every place on earth, Syracuse. <laughs> Don't let me die in Syracuse. We love you, Syracuse. Of course. Rust Belt Solidarity. Yeah, exactly. Dino- but... The original dinosaur barbecue place, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was like the meeting place yep. for, for everybody. Grandparents, yeah. For everybody. Anybody, like, because Syracuse is somehow halfway from <laughs> everyone's family, <laughs> somehow, right? And it's like yeah. not at all, like at all, but Syracuse is the stopping point. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, like, right there, right? Where you right, can go, exactly. like, to the North Country or down toward New York yeah. or, like, West. Yeah. Yeah, it's where a lot of yeah. water highways meet. Little Syracuse, we love you. We do. You're fine. I love you. I love you I love you so, you so much. much. And I will see you soon. That's good. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Pod Crashed. We so hope you enjoyed it. If you noticed anything we got wrong or if you want to get in touch with us for any reason at all, you can email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and TikTok. Um, do any of you live in D.C.? If you live in D.C., uh, message us if maybe you want to see if we can't hang out in a couple weeks. So, uh, yeah, don't be a stranger. And if you live anywhere else, message us anyway. We like it. Thanks for listening to this. It is kind of a sneaky part one to a sneaky two-part series. And uh, so uh, look out for next week. Thanks for listening.